Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and I am left-handed. I'm Jesse, and I am also left-handed. What? I didn't know that. I didn't know that until just now. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles, and we take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. That's got stuff. All right, Conrad, left-handed Conrad, what's on the agenda for today? Well, today we are talking about versus we messed up. That just fogged up my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> my voice is that amazing. Ooh. So why are we bringing up Bible verses that we get wrong? So people often take scripture and unknowingly change its meaning, making God say something he never did. And this leads to sin. So to avoid this, we must interpret his word properly and not twist his words into lies. Only when we know scripture properly can we love God with all our heart, souls, and minds. And only then can we fulfill our purpose, which is to love God and others more. And this is such a big problem that this has been going on since the beginning of time itself, right? Oh, absolutely. Ever since people have been around. And the best way to explain this is in a story. But in a Carmen audio drama type of way. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam and Eve lived in bliss in the garden. But then something happened! Something terrible! Satan came along! <laughs> you know what he did? God voice. Oh, wait, let me change it. <laughs> what did he do? What did he do? He took the very word of God and he twisted it. This is what he said. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Please take me off Satan's voice now. That's so ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, back to the story. And you know what happened? What happened? Adam and Eve sinned, plunging the world into darkness. And so the very first attack on God's people was a purposeful misquotation of God's word. But the story doesn't end there, does it? It doesn't. Because when Christ went into the wilderness, how did Satan try to tempt him? Well, he took scripture. He took it out of context. He gave it a meaning it was never meant to have. And how do we see Christ respond in that moment? He used scripture with its intended meaning. So the moral of the story, Conrad, is... 
Did you get vibrato in there? <laughs> I'm so sweaty. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, where were we? Oh, scripture. Okay, Jesse, so what exactly is scripture? So scripture is the written word of God that he's given to us so that we might know him, mm-hmm. understand something about his son, Jesus Christ, whom mm-hmm. he has given as forgiveness for sins, and so that we might live rightly. Um, so why do we as Christians um, misuse scripture? I think most of the time we don't actually mean to, yeah, but what we I do agree. is we read ourselves into the text mm-hmm. instead of letting the text read us and yeah. to get the right context. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to interpret it, but the problem is we're interpreting it from our perspective rather than God's. And, and everyone does this all the time uh, with, with non-scripture things. Like they, everyone kind of picks and chooses what news source to believe and right. what scientific facts to believe, what reports to, to believe. And everyone basically, without knowing it, they're just... Picking uh, stuff that already agrees with their worldview. And so people kind of pick and choose which verses that go to them, that kind of speak to them, that kind of already affirm whatever they believed in the first place. Right. And in our postmodern culture, it's all about what does it mean to me rather than what does it actually mean? And that brings up a really good point because scripture actually has one true meaning. Right. So times change and applications may vary, but the original author's meaning and the intent and all the subsequent principles derived from that mm-hmm. are fixed and eternal. Right. So what's the right way to go about interpreting scripture then? There's actually a science to interpreting scripture. And the science of interpreting scripture is called hermeneutics. Really fun word. And the really, there's just two major ways to understand a piece of text. You have to, one, figure out its original historical setting. And two, you have to figure out what the author intended the original audience to understand. And boys and girls, that's hermeneutics. So that's why we're going to sing the hermeneutics song. Two, three, four. When you read a passage, ask yourself this question. What's the big idea? What's the story behind it? Who wrote it? And what was its intention? Where did it take place? When you read a passage, ask yourself this question. What's the big idea? What's the story behind it? Who wrote it? And what was its intention? What I was going to say. <laughs> All right. So now that we've sung a bunch of songs and we've understood what the scripture is and how to get after it properly, what are some verses that we just totally mess up? Okay. So one of my biggest pet peeves is when any Christian uses the term still small voice. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Christians have no idea where it's found in the Bible. So it's so easy to misuse it. What people do with this passage is they take it to mean that God speaks to us through their thoughts. True. So like they'll pray for something and they'll go, oh, you know what? There's this thing out there called the still small voice. 
I'm supposed to listen to that still small voice. I'm supposed to pray and then listen to that still small voice. But what's the danger in that? The still small voice is you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> God, do you want me to punch Billy in the face? Yes. He's annoying. I hate his face. Give me the give me Satan voice again. <laughs> God, Billy's being really mean to me. What should I do? Punch Billy. He is so annoying. This is the still small voice speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get back to this. Okay, so what's the story behind the still small voice? The thing is, it's not even in the teachings of Christ or the apostles. It's not even in the New Testament. And guess where it's found? I'm guessing it's got to be Old Testament, right? Yeah, so it's in 1 Kings 19. So we're talking about Elijah. Oh, it's so it's story time. Story time. So remember... Whenever we're doing hermeneutics, we have to go basically to story time. You have to figure out what is the the historical context behind it. So just think of it as story time. So Elijah was a prophet of God, who God spoke to directly. Elijah, after his dramatic victory over the evil prophets of Baal, but evil Queen Jezebel was seeking to kill him. Elijah flees and voices a complaint that all of God's prophets had been killed by Jezebel and he alone had survived. And God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Then the Lord sent a mighty wind which broke the rocks in pieces. The Lord was not in the wind. And then he sent an earthquake and a fire. But his voice was in none of them. And after that, all that, the Lord spoke to Elijah in the still, small voice. There you have it. <laughs> the end. It makes perfect sense now. <laughs> uh, so, and then basically later, God goes on to say that, oh, Elijah, guess what? You're not the only one, but there are 7,000 other believers that right. I have that are still alive. Stop complaining. So, but somehow people have taken that to say, this is how God taught us to listen to God. So what's the most obvious thing wrong with that thinking? That in this case, God's already been speaking to him the entire time. Exactly. He's a prophet of God. He's been hearing from God basically his whole life and all the previous chapters. Right. This passage is describing a historical event. It's not an instruction on how to pray and receive God's will. Exactly. This is the problem between something that's descriptive in scripture and it helps us understand the situation. This is how it's being described versus something that's prescriptive as if God's saying, this is the only manner in which things will happen. So really, if anyone was wondering, basically what this passage is really just saying is people think that God works in huge ways, but he also works in ways that we might not even notice, stuff that we take for granted every day. In fact, that's the way that God often works in our lives is through the ordinary means, through Mm -hmm. normal stuff. So if he's really sovereign over all things, if we really believe that he's in control of everything, why wouldn't he use the little things of our day? Like what time we get up and who we actually see on our way to our desk in the office in the morning? 
mm-hmm. as a way of doing his good work of helping us to love him and others. Right. And that's the big thing. We said before that there is one meaning, but sometimes many applications. So when we're trying to get an application out of these passages, sometimes a really good way of getting something out of it is what is God teaching about himself? Exactly. Because God's character never changes. So what we've been talking about really is God's sovereignty. So immediately you can go, what application can I draw from this? Oh, God is sovereign. So I can praise him for his, my, my prayer can actually just change right now. I can praise him for his sovereignty, that he works in big and small ways. And also you can thank him for those things. You could look for the ways that you haven't noticed before, things that you might've taken for granted and then give thanks to him right there. And in this account, we have Elijah who's beaten down spiritually and emotionally. He needs some assurance from God, a little bit of encouragement. And here's what God says is, let me show you my power. Mm -hmm. I'm the one in control of all things, of all elements on the entire earth. You think that a little ruler bothers me. He's basically saying to Elijah, I got this one. Mm -hmm. Trust in me. So yeah, Elijah's like going, well, I'm the only one left. You're not doing anything, kind of. You know, that's kind of what he's (laughs) saying. And God is like, no, wait, I've been working this whole time, but in ways that are really, really quiet. And how often do we fail to realize that the God that Elijah is interacting with is the same God we worship today. So we come with Mm -hmm. confidence before him, knowing that he's got that kind of power. Right. I've got the power. So here's my 15 second fast God stuff summary. We tend to look for God in big events, but the truth is that God is in control of everything so that those who love him will be more like Christ. This includes small daily events that we oftentimes overlook. When we take less things for granted and we can offer more thanksgiving to God in our daily prayers, we can then better fulfill our purpose, which is to love God and others more. So that's pretty good, but you know what else is really good advice, Conrad? Hmm. I don't know. Let me think. Oh, I know. Don't be like the devil, twisting the word of God. Don't be like the devil and become a fraud. Don't be like the devil, put the verse in context. Don't be like the devil, what's the verse is intended? Don't be like, don't be like, don't be like, don't be like the devil. No! <laughs> That's just good advice. Excellent advice. So, Jesse, what is another verse that we mess up? So, there's this verse that I see everywhere on plaques, cards, at graduation time. Uh oh. This verse gets busted out all over the place. What is it? And it's one that's well known. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh. And it goes a little bit something like this. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I mean, this is one of those verses that sometimes gets used as an expectation for how God intends to bless me in my life right here and right now, just as long as... I commit myself to seeking him with my whole heart. Mm -hmm. But we should really probably ask, does that verse make God responsible for a life of blessing that fits my timeline in my heart? Right. And with my definition of what blessing is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's time for a little story time. Jeremiah 29 was written during a season of despair Despair. in biblical history. The Israelite kings and spiritual leaders were completely corrupt. Corrupt. 
the Israelite people had willfully disobeyed God's commands and had intermarried with the surrounding pagan tribes who led them astray to worship so-called other gods. Oh, that's terrible. The nation had compromised their character and broken the covenant that God had made with them through Moses. And so God had enough. And he decides to judge, to punish Israel, and send them into exile Exile. in the foreign land of Babylon. Babylon! So God raises up a prophet. Which prophet? It's Jeremiah. To deliver a message that Israel will go into exile for 70 years. 70 years. And it's devastating. So bad. The majority of the people, even those who had been faithful to God, won't even survive the journey into exile, and the rest will have to endure slavery in a foreign land, displaced from their homes for the remainder of their lives. That's so long and so sad. But at the same time, this false prophet, this Hananiah, Hananiah, falsely claims that the judgment that God is delivering is relatively small and is due to last only two years. It's only gonna last two years, everybody, don't worry. Spoiler alert. He dies because he's a false prophet. I'm dead. But Jeremiah is so moved by this terrible reality that he decides to write a letter to those who will at least survive the initial trip into exile. And the letter encourages Israel to get comfortable. Take off your coat. Stay a while. They are instructed to move in, settle down, and live a holy life. And pray for their captors, knowing that if their captors prosper, they will inevitably prosper as well. So pray for them. And so Jeremiah writes these words. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Into exile. So we should ask, what's that verse really about then? (laughs) It's not about graduation. (laughs) (laughs) Not unless you've been in exile during high school for 70 years. (laughs) I mean, so the point obviously here is that God is speaking to the Israelite nation of Judah. This is his plan for the nation, not necessarily a personal promise that's directed to any one person per se. It's a corporate promise. Mm -hmm. And so the promise for God's people is for those who will exist 70 years from the writing of those words. Yeah. So this is definitely not some kind of like short-term promise, like you're about to get your best life or what you want right now or even next week or even next year. Yeah. it's, It's a message sent to a specific people in a specific situation. Exactly. So it's horrible for us to take something that was written to th- for these people and just throw it on a card and say, oh, yeah, this is what God wants you for your graduation. Right. It's really awful, especially given that the context is 
slavery and oppression. So you probably don't want to appropriate this as your life verse unless you want the other <laughs> things that came along with the verse exactly. in its context. So basically in using the verse, we sometimes violate the context and we completely miss the fact that God was talking to a nation, not an individual, that had to go through 70 years of devastation and exile before there was any hope of freedom from captivity. Mm-hmm. That's what that means. Yeah. So one of the applications for this thing is really kind of hard. Are you mm-hmm. ready for this? Yep. Because this is not a really pleasant thought, but it's a sobering one that we should probably entertain. And it's this. What if, what if it's God's will for me to have a terrible life by human standards, just like the exiled Israelites were about to encounter, mm-hmm. only to be rewarded abundantly with a glorious eternal life after I'm dead? Right. I mean, that might be the thing that God is teaching us in this passage. Right. Because blessing, it's like, what's your definition of blessing? You know, our definition of blessing is materialistic things, but God's definition of blessing really is becoming more like Christ. Exactly. Which uses trials and tribulations. He uses all sorts of stuff to make us more like Christ. And that is the actual blessing that we should be looking for. And so the really great news that we can take from this verse is not that we should, we can plaster this on a card or give it to a person, a graduating senior and say, see, God has good plans for you. The better takeaway, the more real takeaway, the more solid understanding of this is how good God is in his character to exactly. always provide for his people. Yeah. And so that's what we should walk away with. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like all these passages teach us something about our unchanging God. You can always look to a passage and say, okay, what is the attribute that we could A, praise him for, and then B, thank him for? So here we're looking at an unfaithful Israel and we see God's faithfulness. Exactly. So we can praise God for his faithfulness. And then you can go, well, well, how has God been faithful to me in, in my unfaithfulness? And then you could give thanks to God. So there, there for me, like that's how I would immediately be able to apply it into my own prayer life is by just going, okay, what is the character of God? How can I praise and thank him for that characteristic? And because we're on the other side of this, we actually get to see the whole story. Mm-hmm. We know something the Israelites didn't, and that was God was absolutely faithful. He actually abided by the promise. He brought them back. Mm-hmm. And so it's really great that we can just say, I can see the whole arc of yeah. the story. And that just caused me to want to worship God because I mm-hmm. know, like you said, in the midst of my difficult circumstance where I cannot see the way out, just like these guys couldn't, mm-hmm. I can still look back to this situation and say, God proved himself. Yeah. And so I know that he's going to prove himself to me. Right. He was faithful then, and he is going to be faithful to me now. Preach it! Yay! So here's the 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. We should never expect that God will give us material prosperity and seek to appeal to that promise through Jeremiah 29 in order to support our claims for good stuff in this life. Hmm. Instead, we should be living for God's glory now by loving him and others and waiting for the glory we will receive from him in the life to come. So we've covered verses today that we as Christians just mess up or get flat out wrong. But what's kind of a theme that's united all this? I mean, why talk about this stuff? Well, the scripture is the very word of God. It is where we find the one true meaning of life. So when we alter the truth, by definition, we turn it into something false. And when we alter the true meaning of the word of God, we make God into a liar, making him say something he never did. This then leads us to believe we're obeying God's will when in reality, we're doing the opposite. So the way to avoid misusing scripture is to interpret the scripture properly using hermeneutics, which generally asks, when you read a passage, ask yourself this question, what's the story behind it and what was its intention? To answer these questions, 
First, put your verse in context by reading the surrounding chapters. Second, use a study Bible to find out who wrote the book, to whom, and why. Now, while there is only one true meaning, there may be many applications. The main one being learning about the character of God. What attribute of God is being displayed in this passage? You can then immediately turn that into praise and thanksgiving in your prayer. So, through a proper reading, we learn more about God and His will for us, which is to love God and others more. Well, that's all the verses that we have time for today, Conrad. Sorry. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast God Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you like to podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you not be like the devil. Until next time, love God. Love others. That's That's it. Two, three, four. Don't be like the devil. Twisting the word of God. Don't be like the devil. And become a fraud. Don't be like the devil. Put the first in context. Don't be like the devil. What's the first is intense. Yeah, you're German. Just like the cool kids. Not like the lunatics. What's the story behind it? And what was its intention? Here's how many it is. It's just like the Give them five stars on iTunes. <laughs> Don't be like the devil. No. <laughs> Give us five stars on iTunes. Oh. Seriously. When you read a passage, when you read a passage, ask yourself this question. What's the big idea? What's the story behind it? Who wrote it? And what was its intention? Where did it take place? When you read a passage, ask yourself this question. What's the big idea? What's the story behind it? Who wrote it? And what was its intention?